0: Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Immanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Hallelujah. So once again, the theme for today's service is Grace is just. Grace is just. And why is Grace just? Because God is just. As simple as that is, is so important. You see, justice is an attribute of God. Someone says, "What's an attribute of God?" Very simple, and I will explain. If you had a close friend that I wanted to get to meet, and I will come to you and I say, "Oh, what's your friend like?" And you say, "Oh, he's very kind. He's very firm though. He doesn't take nonsense." but he's very kind. He's very generous too. You know what you're doing? You're telling me his attributes. So when we say attributes of God, we're actually just simply referring to characteristics of God, key characteristics by which God can be discerned. And that's what we mean by attributes of God. You see, the attributes of God don't only tell us who God is and what he's capable of. They also tell us what he cannot do. You know, the same way when someone says, oh, I'm looking for money. Someone stole my money. And the person says, I suspect so-and-so person. And you know the person well. You can stand up and say, oh, he cannot do that. Color will never do that. You know, someone says, I always use color for my illustration. So let me think of another name. Chinidu will never do that. (laughs) He, he, He can't do such a thing. All right. So you see, the attributes of God guide our discernment of the character of God. And there are a couple of things that when you hear, we say, God cannot do that. God cannot lie. God, you know, is faithful to his word and all of that. And that's what attributes do for us. You know, I'm going to give you three quick examples. And the reason I'm just going to give you three examples is, first and foremost, the attributes of God is a teaching on his own. We can spend the whole day talking about that. And then second. I want to give you the attributes that are relevant to what we want to talk about today. So the Bible tells us that God is love. That's an attribute. An attribute. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. God is love. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible tells us that God is merciful. And we talked about that last week and the week before that. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. He says that in the ages to come he should he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in christ jesus so he has shown his merciful his merciful kindness towards us in christ in the redemptive work of christ it's the mercy of god in christ god is merciful next God is just. And that's what we're going to dwell on today. God is just. You know, we've, we've sang about it. And this song I'm about to sing is actually a text. Maybe I should read the text to you first. So that you know, you know what I'm referring to. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 3. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 3. It says, For I proclaim the name of the Lord. It says, Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. And for all his ways are justice. He says all his ways are justice. When you look at the character of God, you see justice. Justice is his consistent character. He says a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. That's our God. Do you believe that today? He says righteous and upright is he. He loves truth and justice. He loves truth and justice. He hates lies and injustice. This is something crucial to learn about God. You see, when you see human beings crying out against any form of injustice in the world, that's because they are made in the likeness and the image of God. That's something godly reacting you see when we react to injustice against women against children against the vulnerable in the society against any form of injustice against the citizens of any nation it is something godly in us crying out responding you know protesting because god is just now something else you need to realize is this The attributes of God are never in contradiction. The attributes of God are never in contradiction. This is a very important point here. The attributes of God are never in contradiction. God never suspends his mercy to be just. And God never suspends his justice to be merciful. All the attributes of God are always and consistently in sync That's crucial if you're going to understand, you know, what God has done for us in salvation. Let me give you an example. Imagine you were a judge and someone stood before you guilty, but he's pleading. He's pleading. I beg you. um, I know I did it, but I'm sorry. You know, let's assume that you actually feel sorry for him. Maybe he reminds you of your son. About the same age, there's something about his physical attributes that just you know brings the memory of your son to mind. And now you wish you could have mercy, you know, and just literally just basically let him go. Well, it doesn't matter what you feel like doing, you have a legal obligation to make sure that everyone who stands before you in trial, you know, gets gets justice. That's that's how the system works. So, well, you might feel sorry for him. Maybe he's even a relative, someone that you know, or an old friend in school. But the truth is, you cannot just let him go. For you to let him go, your mercy will be a demonstration of injustice. But I'm saying as, as technical and as, you know, Um, difficult as this might sound from a natural logical mind. I'm saying the attributes of God are always in perfect agreement and alignment. You know, what does the Bible say about this? Look at Exodus. Exodus. Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. It says... The Lord passed before him, talking about Moses, and proclaimed. I have a lot to say about this. You know, Moses was saying, Lord, show me your face. But when you read carefully, you will see that what Moses was asking for was not the physical attributes of God. It was revelation. And that's why the Bible says the Lord passed by him saying. So it was a declaration. You see, you don't get to know God, you know, physically and say, oh, God has beard. You know, well, if God had physical attributes, He looked just like me. He, not you know, all those beard gang. Don't fall for all of them. I don't mind me, I'm beefing. But, but that wasn't what this was about. Alright, it wasn't about physical attributes. God passed by him saying, because you get to know God by knowing his attributes in his word. Not by his physique, physic, not by you know how much hair he has on his chin, not by his build, but by his word. The consistency of his character is how you get to know him. So Moses said, show me your face. And he passed by him saying, and what did he say? He says, the Lord, the Lord God. What a powerful declaration of his character. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. This This is God, the declaration of his character. You know, I told you God is merciful. And he has announced himself merciful. He says, the Lord, the Lord God. Merciful and gracious. That's God. Merciful and gracious. Long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands. Not just for a thousand people. For, but for a thousand generations. Forgiving iniquity and transgressions. Now, that's so powerful. But it doesn't stop there. He says by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. No. So first he started by telling you about the mercy, mercy of God. His merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. But then he says, by no means clearing the gu- guilty. Now it sounds, you know, confusing. How can God be so merciful at the same time abounding, you know, or executing his justice. First he tells us he's merciful, he's gracious, but he says by no means does he clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. So verse 6 and the first part of verse 7 talks about the first attribute I talked about. The Lord is merciful, he's gracious, slow to anger, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for a thousand. By the way, I wish I had enough time to dwell on this. You see, just like every human being that you meet, people have more dominant attributes. More dominant attributes. Uh, Even in this, you can see God's most most dominant attributes. He is merciful, his gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness, keeping mercy for a thousand, forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and sins. The Bible says, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. I'm going to explain what this means. And the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, he talks about fourth generation justice, but he talks about mercy for a thousand generations. You know, that's another powerful thing for you to bear in mind in all of this. But the truth is, he said that he is merciful and yet he's just. He doesn't by any chance let it go when someone is unrepentant in wickedness. Can I tell you something? Human beings, we love justice. When we hear of robbery, when we hear of theft, we hope that the people, the perpetrators of this evil, they are caught. Alright, and can I tell you something? Subconsciously, either I'm saying subconsciously in case you've not thought of this before, but it's so powerful and very important. If we as human beings are subject to you know, the leadership and the rulership of a God who does not see justice as an important thing, we're in trouble. The justice of God gives us hope as we, in our voyage through this world, to say, oh, even the people who think they are getting away with stuff, they are still going to meet a righteous judge. And in the courtroom of God, no bribery you know, will be tolerated. No bribe can be accepted. No nepotism will be enforced and all of that. Whatever people can get away with in the world system, it doesn't really matter. On the final day, there's going to be a righteous judge. And that's, that's our assurance in all of this. All right. So it's something that we value as humans. And it should gladden our hearts when we see that God is just. But he is merciful and just at the same time. And that's what we want to talk about today. As it pertains to salvation, how does God do this? How does God do this? How can God be merciful to us and be just to us at the same time? We are deserving, all right, of damnation. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're going to talk about that as we move on. But how is God going to let sinners go? If indeed, you know, he doesn't by any chance pass off the guilty. How is he going to have mercy on us and still be just? Listen, human beings um, are the reason why all of creation is fallen. Have you thought about that before? What the reasons animals die. We are the reason you know, for natural disasters. The Bible says, by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So, you know, when it comes to moral justice, we've done more harm than even the animals. Than even, you know, the natural creation. All the, you know, all the physical, I mean, all the things that you see around you. Only human beings committed treason against God is God going to let that go how is God going to be merciful and be gracious at the same time there is something theologians call penal substitutional substitutionary atonement and don't worry about you know big names like that but it simply goes thus that God gave himself in the person of his son to suffer instead of us God gave himself in the person of his son to suffer instead of us the punishment and the curse as penalty you know, for sin due to the fall of humanity. It doesn't really matter how you structure that, but the summary of everything is God gave himself in the person of his son to suffer the punishment that was accrued to mankind based on the fall or due to the fall. And this is so important. So God says, I am just. Man must pay, but I want to have mercy because I'm also merciful. What will be done? He says i'm going to come as a human i'm going to take that place of a man i'm going to die their death so that they can go free it's just like if someone owed a lot of money all right and that money must be paid you step in all right and you pay money for the person and that's how you know being a guarantor works when it comes to loans all right So, the person does not pay the money, so you step in and you pay what the person owes so that the person can go free. Well, that's what God did for us in Christ. He came as a man, suffered for us, died our death, was raised back to life for our justification. And that's what Penal Substitutionary Atonement, you know, actually talks about. So, the genius of God is this, that in the redemptive work of Christ... You see the justice of God, and you see the grace of God. I take that again. The genius of God is revealed in, re- in the redemptive work of Christ. In that, in the redemptive work of Christ, we see the justice of God and the mercy of God in the same vein. And that's so important and powerful. Let's read Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 to 26. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 to 26. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, this is a text we all know. We've heard many evangelists talk about this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, and I've said it time and again, how that it is not proper for you to quote this and stop there. The verse ends with a comma in KJV, colon, in other translations, whatever you know punctuation mark you see at the end of that verse, we know for sure that you're not meant to stop the conversation there. It says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ. So how do we talk about the mercy and the justice of God at the same time? All of sin and come short of the glory of God, what's God, just God going to do about that? All of sin that comes to the glory of God, we deserve penalty. Capital punishment. Don't forget the wage of sin is death. But what has God done about that? He says they are justified freely. And how can you justify people who deserve death with, without, you know, your integrity as a just God Being tampered with he says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Hallelujah in Christ. We have a ransom. So because of the ransom the redemption that is in Christ All right, God can be merciful and be just at the same time Because the demands of justice have been met in Christ and so he can freely and generously forgive us of all our debts and that's why even though we, have fall, we fall short of the glory of God by our own merits and by our own efforts, the Bible says we are justified freely. This is, this is so important. This is salvation. This is the message of the season. The Easter is not about egg or whatever symbols, you know, the, 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 I mean, the, the world has made up. All right, this is the message of the season. That we fell short of the glory of God, but we have been justified freely. By the redemption that is in Christ. He goes on to explain. In verse 25 he says. "Who God set forth as propitiation. Oh glory to God. Now we are talking legal terms. We are talking you know terms of in the divine justice. God set forth Jesus Christ as propitiation. Propitiation is payment in case of failure. Alright. So we are saying that God has reckoned the suffering of Christ alright, to be propitiation for our sins. He has accepted what was meant to be wickedness on the path of men. God has endorsed it as substitution for our sins. Propitiation for our sins. He says by his blood. God has set forth as propitiation by his blood through faith. And now this is the part, this is the interesting part to demonstrate his righteousness see the redemptive work of christ doesn't just commend you know our righteousness in christ it commends god's righteousness you see in the redemptive work we see the righteousness of god displayed he wasn't merciful in a way that made him unrighteous In the way he went about it, through the concept of propitiation, through the concept of penal substitutionary atonement, you see, we see his righteousness in his mercy. It says to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Verse 26. To demonstrate at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So in Christ, in the redemptive work of Christ, God is the just justifier. Not only is he justifying us, he's not justifying you know, us in a way you know, that, that damages his integrity as a just God. He is a just justifier. Hallelujah. So from the eyes, from the legal perspective, you look at how we went about it, and you say, this is right. This is only fair. This is the right thing to do. This is the right thing to do. To demonstrate at this time his righteousness. That he might be just. And the justifier. In Christ, and in the redemptive work, God is not just the justifier. He is just. Hallelujah. In his mercy, we see justice. This is so important. And I will tell you why this is important later. But let's move on. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 3. It takes, we all know, and we quote so often, you know, and you see the merciful justice of God in there. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You know, when you think about this, the Greek word translated blessed is eulogia. You know, depending on the tense. You know, and it means to speak well of someone. You know, God speaks well of us. Despite all we've done, this is meant to be scandalous. How can you speak well of people who have done wrong? But not only does he speak well of us, he is to be spoken well of for speaking well of us. Not only does he declare us righteous, he is declared righteous. It's an act of righteousness for declaring us righteous. It's no scandal that he declared us righteous. Declaring us righteous was the right thing to do. He is blessed for blessing us, he is just for justifying us, he is right for declaring us righteous. This is so important. And he tells us how he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. In Christ, verse 7 tells us why. It says, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. You see that? In him, in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace. Redemption through his blood. So, a payment has been made. The demands of justice have been met. No scandal here. This is so important. Someone says, how is it fair? How is it fair that someone would take our place like that? How can he allow Jesus die for us like that? Well, let me show you this. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verse 16. Hallelujah. It says, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Pay attention to this. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. And this is what he's saying. Remember, How did we take on the nature of sin? Because of one man's offense. Adam sinned. Death came into the world by Adam's sin. And we became partakers of Adam's sin. Of Adam, the penalty for Adam's sin. Pay attention to what I'm saying. We became partakers of the penalty for Adam's sin. And so if we became partakers of the penalty for Adam's sin... Someone else a second and the last Adam could also take our place die our death and we become partakers of his blessing I mean perfect fairness here You say how could he take our place well the same way we partook of the repercussions of Adam's disobedience Is that simple is that simple we partook of the first Adam In procreation, we partook of the second Adam in baptism. You see, and that leads me to something I'm going to talk about briefly. You see, the term baptism is not just a religious term. It's not just a mere religious ordinance. You ask some people, okay, why baptism? They say to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? They don't understand what it means. Baptism was so serious. I wish I had enough time to to dwell on this. You see, when the Pharisees saw John the Baptist baptizing, they didn't just think, oh, this is a crazy guy. They came to him and they asked him specific questions. They said, are you the Christ? If you are not the Christ, why are you baptizing? Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Did that ever occur to you? If you are not the Christ, why are you baptizing? by what authority because the new baptism was associated with the blotting of sins and so what john did was to say you know what what i'm doing is to symbolize the real baptism all right this is a real baptism i'm just a voice crying in the wilderness saying prepare the way of the lord so by doing this with water i am preparing the way i'm announcing what christ the real messiah was going to do in the real baptism he says i baptize with water unto repentance but he that is coming after me is mightier than i whose shoes and latches i'm not worthy to untie i baptize with water he shall baptize with the holy ghost and with fire that was the real baptism baptism all right it's just a doctrinal term to describe how we become partakers of the redemptive work of Christ. That's what it is. In simple terms, it's a doctrinal term that describes how we become partakers of the redemptive work of Christ. And I'm going to show that to you very briefly. Turn the Bibles, Colossians. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. Good stuff, I tell you. Colossians will read chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 12. Colossians chapter 2 verse 12. Hallelujah. Pay attention to this. This is good stuff. It says, buried with him in baptism. Isn't that powerful? You see, in the eyes of of an observer, Jesus was a great man and people arrested him and then they killed him and then they buried him. All right. But right now, in the eyes of Revelation, he says, "You were crucified with Christ." You know the Bible says, "We're crucified with Christ." Romans chapter 6 from verse one to three. The Greek word translated crucified" was the exact word that was used for the two thieves that were, I mean, literally crucified side by side Jesus, the same Greek word. So in, 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 it's almost as if it was literal. In the legal system of God, as if we were actually literally crucified with Christ. He says we were crucified with Him, and now He says we were buried with Him. How? In baptism. That's what baptism is. Our identification with the redemptive work of Christ. That's what baptism is. It's an identification term. Buried him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through faith in the operation of God. Hallelujah. This is how you get saved by faith in the operation of God. When you see that all that God did in Christ, He did for your benefit, then you become a partaker of that provision. So by seeing that the death of Christ was my death, my death to sin, His burial was the destruction of the old man, and my resurrection was my resurrection to a new life. It's a faith in the operation of God. This is the system of salvation. To understand that Christ was the second Adam, God was not just demonstrating, you know, his power in the life of someone that he loved. No, in, in everything that he did in Christ, he did for you. He was demonstrating, he, demonstrating his love. Jesus prophesied this. Hallelujah. He said, Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of the grave. Shall not prevail against, he didn't say, shall not prevail against me. He said, shall not prevail against the church. Meaning, he's going to die as an individual, rise as a body. He says, except a corn of wheat fall to the ground. He used agriculture to describe this. A corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. But when it dies, it brings forth much fruit. So what he did as an individual benefited a mighty many people. He has brought many sons to glory. And this is baptism. The system by which we become participants of the redemptive work. We were participants in the first Adam by procreation, natural birth. We are participants of the second Adam, the last Adam, that's Jesus Christ, by baptism. It says buried him in baptism Wherein also we are risen with him through faith in the operation of God who raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. This is so powerful. This is so powerful. 2,000 years ago, not only did Jesus rise from the dead, we rose with him. We were raised with him. That's the operation of God. And by faith in the operation of God, recognizing that his death was your death. His burial was your burial. You become participants of everything that he has to offer. Thank you, Lord. Look at Isaiah chapter 53. You know, this was prophesied by Isaiah. Isaiah. In Isaiah 53 verse 5, talking about Christ, it says he was wounded for our transgressions. A natural observer sees Jesus on the cross and just says, oh, such a nice man. Why are they doing this to him? But through the eyes of revelation, you see that he was doing it for you. He was wounded for our transgression. This is how faith in the operation of God works. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, oh, by his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, by his death, we are saved. This is so powerful he says all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all this is penal substitutionary atonement i talked about the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all hallelujah glory to god verse 10 says yet he pleased the lord to bruise him he put him to grief When he make the soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed prolong his days. Now, he's talking about not just Christ, but his seed. He's saying that the death of Christ and the resurrection thereof is going to birth a new generation. That's you and I. The days of Christ are prolonged in us. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Verse 11 says he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. The demands of justice are satisfied. He says by his knowledge my righteous servant shall, shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. This is this is this is the proper confession to have on a day like this. He has borne my iniquities. Oh glory to God. He has borne my iniquities. You know not just to watch you know a movie about the death of Jesus and you say oh why did he die and all of that no you respond with revelation. And say, oh, he has borne my iniquities. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me. You've borne my iniquities. And that's what Ephesians chapter 2 ha, yeah, 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 was talking about. We read that last week. And I want us to read it through a new lens now. A new lens now as I prepare to round off. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 1. It says, and you he made a life now look at that you know you you just read in the gospels about the resurrection of jesus but now he's talking about your resurrection you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins who were dead and he has made us alive he says in which we once walked according to the cross of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the prince, the spirit that now walks in children of disobedience, among whom we connected ourselves in lust of the flesh, the fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, already he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, has made us alive in Christ. Now, he's talking about resurrection, and not just the resurrection of Christ, but our resurrection. God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for which he loved not just Christ. So the resurrection was not just the love of God demonstrated in his Christ, but for, for us, all of us. The love of God demonstrated for us. For the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in trespasses and sins, had made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And has raised us up together, you see. In the resurrection of Christ we rise. Glory to God. Has raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 was describing. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's beautiful. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. That's wonderful, isn't it? He made us sit together with Christ in heavenly places. Look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We'll read from verse 1 to 3. Let's just read verse 3. Romans 6, 3. It says, do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Look at that. We're immersed into his death. So we died. We died 2,000 years ago. The old man was crucified. Hallelujah. It says, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into his death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. So it wasn't only Christ who had the newness of life in the resurrection. We have the newness of life because of Christ. This is so important. He says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, this is Christian identification. We've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly also shall we be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. It wasn't only Christ that was crucified. We were many on that cross. (laughs) They saw only one person, but there was a lot of us. Our old man was on that cross too. Nails were driven through the wrists of our old habits. Those sinful propensities nailed to the cross. We were buried with Christ. We rose up new men. We walk in the newness of life. Say that with me. I walk in the newness of life. Hallelujah. He says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. You see that? Freed from sin. Glory to God. Ay, ay, ay. This is amazing. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. This is the good news. You know, and one story that describes this perfectly. It's a very unassuming story because when we think of that story, you know, we just think of something else. We don't don't really see how that depicts in such a powerful manner, you know, the redemptive work of God in His Christ. Pilate was determined to let Jesus go. He knew, the Bible says that he knew that the, the, the Pharisees wanted him crucified out of jealousy. He knew. Also, his wife had had a dream, warning him, this man is innocent, have nothing to do with it. He was determined to let Jesus go. In fact, he was trying to get Jesus to just make an appeal, but Jesus was silent. He knew what he was about to do had to be done. If Jesus wanted to be released, it would have ended with Pilate. And Pilate was like, you know, I have power to let you go, and and Jesus wasn't having any of that. It's a story for that day. And eventually, Pilate, you know, had an idea. He had an idea. Still in the bid to let Jesus go. He said, well, according to legal customs, I'm entitled to release one prisoner to you every year. So I present an option. There's a guy named Barabbas. most notorious criminal in town who had been caught who had maybe like the Shekau of our time time can you imagine that you put him on the stand Barabbas and then you put Jesus what did he really do who did he kill all he did instead was bring the dead back to life heal the sick cleanse the lepers so, he, I mean, it was meant to be easy, you know. It was meant to be easy. This was a no-brainer. Barabbas, Jesus, of course, let Jesus go. It's not that serious. Pilate, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. You know, it, I mean, it was meant to be easy. Jesus against Barabbas, blasphemy. Why would you even do that? Okay, 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 let Jesus go. Yeah, we might have, maybe we don't really like him that much, but we'll give anything. To make sure Barabbas does not return to the community. Well, interestingly, the people were not having it, you know, they were so determined to annihilate Jesus. And to to the shock of Pilate, they screamed, free Barabbas! Crucify Jesus! Free Barabbas! Crucify Jesus! This is incredible! What? Free who? Crucify who? Are you really going to let Barabbas go? But they they screamed yet more. Crucify Jesus. Free Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. Free Barabbas. This was a very sad and sorry day. At least, Pilate must have thought so. Now, not only is an innocent person going to be killed, one of our notorious criminals is going to be released. And here is the part that you taught you. Just think about what might have been running through Barabbas's mind. He's just like, oh, wow. So, despite all I've done, I'm going to be freed because of this guy, who is this guy? You know, yeah, because of this guy, Jesus, I'm going to be released. The people are screaming, Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. Maybe he even feels entitled. As the shackles were taken off Barabbas, there's no record of him turning to Jesus to say thank you. But listen, on Jesus' account, the worst of the criminals is released. Think about what must have been running through Barabbas' family, their mind, you know, when he got home. How come, what are you doing here? How were you able to get here? Did you break out of jail? And he says, no. It's hard to explain. One guy named Jesus took my place. It is because of him and on his account that I am free. This is a beautiful picture of redemption. Because of Jesus. Because of his death. The Bible says, all right, the Bible says, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. It says, being justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ, this is the grace of God in Christ. I said I was going to answer a question. The Bible says, you know, we read in, in Exodus. It says that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy, long suffering, and all of that. And He says, but He won't, in any way, pass off the guilty. But He will met that punishment even to the third and fourth generation. So the question is, how was God going to be merciful and yet not pass of the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the fathers upon the children? So the question is, how did God visit the iniquity of the fathers? By putting their iniquity on Christ. Letting Christ bear the full wrath and the demands of justice for our sake. This is the message of the season. Listen, someone died your death. Now you owe him your life. You owe him your life. Can I tell you something? Just in case you're listening to me and you're not born again. Someone died your death. You don't have to die. You don't have to die. Can I tell you something? Um, There are a lot of people whose lives have gone because of the pandemic. But a good number of them are probably more alive than you are if you're not in Christ Jesus. Anyone who dies, who heard this message and believed it, the Bible says at the trump of God he will rise again. But you can be dead while you you yet live. And I want you to respond to this message. If, If you are not born again, but you heard this message and you believe it, you know, I just want you to go a step farther, just as a demonstration of faith, to confess this with me. Say this to me, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I have faith in the operation of God, that your death was my death, your burial was my burial. And by faith, I'm risen to a new life. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your life. I have faith in you. I believe in you. And right now I receive your Holy Spirit into my heart. I am a new man. I will never die again. The body of sin is destroyed. I'm empowered to live for you. Glory to your name. Just worship him wherever you are. Give him the praise right now. Give him the praise right now. Thank him. Thank him for the cross. Thank him for what he has done for you worship him right now worship him right now worship his majesty worship his majesty thank you for listening we are sure that you have been blessed for inquiries reach us on our helpline 0809 996 7000 blessings